Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? Doing okay? Great. Why don't we get started? Um, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to um, the New Testament to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, and um, as most of you know, but just in case you don't, uh, we're in a series right now called Two Ways to Live, in which we are looking at what is referred to in Scripture as the fruit of the Spirit. And one of the things that we've been, you know, kind of pressing from, uh, from the get-go is, um, is the importance of personal reflection, you know, the need for us in the church to, to do sort of a spiritual self-assessment of our lives, because uh, here's the reality. Um, what we do every day reveals who we are. Jesus uh, put it this way. He said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. And uh, as we've seen a little later on in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching, and he writes Christians in the church explaining how when we experience the grace of God in our lives through faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes into our lives in a real way and begins to um, transform us, you know, taking us from where we're, we're not just gratifying the desires of our sinful nature, but m he's moving us toward a very different type of existence. How do we know if that transition is taking place? Uh, Paul says there's tangible evidence. He says, um, he writes, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And all of these things, you know, Paul, that Paul lists here are things that we sense are wrong, you know, are, are, they're hurtful, they're unhealthy. By contrast, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's something uh, down deep in our humanness that tells us, yes, man, those things, those things are right, those things are healthy, those things are beneficial. Uh, this list describes the kind of men and women uh, we're meant to be. Both Christians and non-Christians alike agree. Not only do we ad admire these virtues, we desire them in ourselves, and we desire them in others. And yet, if left to our own sin nature, the first list will dominate our lives. And really, the only, the only way to live out the second is by the grace and power of God's Spirit. Keep in mind uh, uh, that we don't try to change our attitudes and behaviors to become Christians. No, our attitudes and cha uh, behaviors change because we are Christians. You know, faith in Jesus changes things. God's grace changes things. The Spirit of God changes things. He changes us from the inside out. And just like Jesus, Paul uses, he describes these changes by using fruit as a metaphor, fruit representing that which grows above ground. That's something everybody can see. In fact, when Paul uses the term for fruit, he uses it in the plural, signifying that all these attending virtues uh, are are produced by the Spirit's presence and power in our lives. It's not just one or two of them. All of these are, are growing and manifesting themselves uh, in increasing degrees. And so far, uh, in, a study, in our study, we've talked about love, we talked about joy, we talked about peace, and this morning I want to talk a little bit about how the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Patience. When you hear that word, what do you think? What do you think of? I mean, for me, I immediately think of patience as, as being the ability to wait for something, which I'm not very good at. And uh, frankly, given our culture's obsession with convenience, rapid technology, instant gratification, speed dating, texting, I mean, you name it, waiting really isn't something uh, any of us like to do anymore, even to our own detriment. 
Uh, this past January, in an effort to figure out how to better deal with insanely impatient customers, that's their words, not mine, the First Third Bank funded a national survey. In it, they found that 71% of Americans frequently exceed the speed limit to get to their destination faster, even when they know it's not safe. Um, they also found that 96% of Americans are so impatient, they knowingly consume hot food and beverages that burn their mouths. Uh, and of that group of people, 63% admitted to doing it a lot. And the people who were surveyed in Chicago said it's all about the deep dish pizza <laughs> and the hot cheese and all of that. Uh, in a recent uh, Huffington Post article entitled The Age of American Impatience, Why It's a Dangerous Syndrome, uh, author Tara Sonenshine writes about rap rage. You guys know what that is? You ever hear of it? Rap rage? It's not about music. It's not about music. According to Sonenshine, rap rage is the frustration people feel when they have to open shrink-wrapped packages. <laughs> yes, she writes, people actually report annoyance and anger with having to use their teeth or scissors or other devices to tear open packages. Consumers want things these days to be easy and fast. Rap rage is the latest example of American impatience, an age in which we live characterized by increased anger, frustration, and a simple unwillingness to wait. So here's the thing. I, mean, I think if we're honest, most of us are going to admit that we struggle with this. We struggle with tolerating any, any degree of unexpected delay that interrupts our, our, our activities, our daily routines. In fact, here are a couple guys who face some annoying situations, and they kind of reflect my inability to wait patiently for things. Check this out. <laughs> so here's the crazy thing. That happened to me this week. I, I, was, I was in a line at, at, at a coffee shop, and there was a, a, a little, little older lady in the front of the line asking a million questions about tea. And I, I, I could think of this as saying, lady, this is a coffee shop, no tea. But I feared she grabbed me by the throat, so I kept my, I kept my mouth shut. But... Uh, uh, that those scenes just are really funny to me. You know, whether it's a boarding line at O'Hare or a latte line at the local coffee shop, our, abil our ability, our willingness to, to wait for things in a self-absorbed culture of speed, convenience, and comfort is in serious decline. As Americans, we've become some of the most impatient people on earth. But patience, at least in the mind of the Apostle Paul, um, applies to a lot more than just our ability to wait for things. Uh, it, in fact, it's not just a time issue, it's a relationship issue. For Paul, patience refers to our ability to deal with people, more specifically, how we respond to them. And how do we know that? We know that because Paul uses a specific Greek term uh, here in the text, macrothemia. It's a, it's a compound word, it's a combination of two terms, macro meaning long or far, coupled with thymia, meaning passionate feelings of anger or rage. So literally translated, uh, the word means long-angered or long-tempered. So think of it this way. You know what it means to be short-tempered, right? You just kind of explode in anger and frustration and retaliation. Well, this is the opposite of that. Long-tempered means being slow to anger, slow to retaliate. It's a Greek term that was used not of, not of patience in regard to things or events, but specifically in regard to people. And it's, it's ba it basically represents the kind of the flip side of fits of rage that Paul mentions in verse uh, 19 or 20. 
And uh, what's interesting to me is, is that this idea of being long-tempered ran contrary to the ancient Greek virtue that Aristotle uh, promoted, known as megalopskia, or great soulness, is how the word is translated, which, which Aristotle defined as the refusal, the absolute refusal to tolerate any insult or injury demanding a strong reaction. In other words, you don't take anything from anybody. Aristotle said, it's the attitude of a man who thinks he deserves great things and actually does deserve them. It was sort of, in a sense, a, an, an arrogant entitlement. He says, you don't tolerate anything. But Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying that the Spirit of God produces something very different in us. He produces patience, a humble, long-temperedness, a, a slowness to anger and to reaction. The old English term translators used to use was the term long-suffering, a word that um, carries the idea of bearing or suffering the offenses and injuries of others without rushing to anger or retaliation. Uh, And it's with that in mind that uh, John Chrysostom, a a church leader in the late 4th century, defined it all this way. He said, patience is the spirit which could take revenge if it liked but utterly refuses to do so and humbly endures mistreatment, practicing forgiveness, being long-suffering. In fact, our English word patience comes from the Latin term uh, patientia, meaning suffering. Now, I realize I just unloaded uh, a ton of etymological information on you, so let me just give you some of my Ray K definition. Okay, here it is. Patience, as Paul sees it, patience is a slowness to react in anger and retaliation and a quickness to extend grace and forgiveness to those around you even when they mistreat you. Got it? Slowness, is, uh, patience is a slowness to react in anger and in retaliation and a quickness to extend grace and forgiveness to those around you even when they mistreat you. Now, if I have to say so myself, that's a great definition. <laughs> Covers all the bases, right? Um, but here's the deal, you know as well as I do, this is not the norm of human nature. It's just not. I mean, think about little kids. From the day they're born, we don't have to teach children to be impatient, you know, or how to throw a temper tantrum or how to exact uh, angered revenge on a sibling by smacking them, biting them, pinching them. Right? They got that all down. We have to, instead, we have to teach the children about grace, about patience, about forgiveness. But let's face it, I mean, no matter how old we get, those things just never come easy to us. It's, it's not our natural human inclination uh, to do those things. Paul says, our sin nature tends to produce fits of rage driven by selfish ambition, hate, jealousy, envy, all those things. Yet because of God's power and presence in our lives as Christians, the natural inclination begins to change. And rather than being short-tempered and impulsively rageful and vindictive, more and more we begin to demonstrate a supernatural kind of beyond nature ability to, to, uh, to be um, long-tempered, long-suffering, uh, to be patient with people. Are you guys tracking with that so far? Uh, as I noted last week, when, when we read about the fruit of the Spirit, um, it's, it's like we're essentially reading a description of who God is uh, and what he's like. Because throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, um, patience is portrayed as, as central to God's divine nature. It's an eternal um, uh, attribute of his. Again and again and again, we're told that, and it's described, God is described in scripture as being slow to anger. We're told that he's slow to anger. For example, in the Old Testament, we're told that the Lord is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
The Old Testament prophet Nehemiah in a prayer to God says, Lord, you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. David, in the lyrics of one of his songs, says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Again and again and again in scripture, we're informed that God is not some, he's not some peeved deity sitting in heaven with a hair trigger temper just looking to explode and rage on someone whenever given the chance or opportunity. That's, that's not who God is. I mean, that's not to say that God isn't just or that he will uh, forever ignore sin and rebellion and never deal with it, but it is to say that God is way more interested in forgiveness and is incredibly patient with rebellious people like Moses, like Nehemiah, like David, like the Apostle Paul, like me, like you. In another letter in the New Testament, Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy, and he says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he says. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. That's a fascinating statement Paul makes. And in it, he, he reveals two important things about God's patience. One, his patience has a model, and two, his patience has purpose. The model, or the supreme example of divine patience is Jesus himself, who uh, through his life, his humility, his kindness, and ultimately his sacrificial death on the cross undeniably demonstrated the extent to which God's love and grace and slowness to anger would go in order to rescue sinful people, even those who abused and mistreated him. And Jesus very regularly taught his followers to follow his example, his, his friends, his disciples. Um, some of you may remember the instance when the Apostle Peter tried to clarify all this. You know, he's listening to this and he goes, oh, let me get this straight, Lord. How, how patient are we supposed to be? I mean, how many times are we supposed to forgive a brother or sister who sins against us? You know, up seven times? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, no, not seven times. Seventy-seven times. Which was way of Jesus was, it's a way Jesus was saying, um, unlimited times. And just so you know, immediately after, after saying that, Jesus shared the parable of, uh, of the patient king and the impatient servant. And at the end of the story, he, he just comes out and says, I'm not going to risk you guys misinterpreting this. He goes, here's the deal. Um, he says, you are to be patient and forgiving like me. So understand, Jesus is the model of divine patience, which has purpose. And the purpose, look, it's not just about restraint for the sake of restraint. God's patience is intended to give us as sinful human beings uh, the unmerited opportunity to experience forgiveness. Uh, in, a, in a letter to Christians in the early church, the apostle Peter put it this way. He says, bear in mind, our Lord's patience means salvation. And that statement, by the way, came in the context of Peter responding to the question as to why Jesus hadn't returned as he had promised uh, yet at that point. And Peter said, look, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. In other words, God's not bound by time. He says, the Lord isn't slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance, i.e., God's patience has a purpose and it's to our benefit. Suffice it to say, God is gracious. He is long-tempered, long-suffering, slow to anger, uh, incredibly patient with broken, messed-up, sinful people. And so 
When we experience God's grace and patience through faith in Jesus, Paul says the Spirit of God comes and begins to produce in us the same long-tempered, long-suffering, slow to anger, slow to retaliate patience toward others, even those who mistreat us. What we have experienced, patience, God's grace, God's forgiveness, by the Spirit's power, we willingly and increasingly begin to demonstrate and extend to others. So how, how is that working out for you? I want you to think about just for a second here. Think about, you know, in your relationships with family, with friends, coworkers, college roommates, church members, neighbors, coffee shop baristas, you know, whoever you encounter, friend or foe, how patient, how long-tempered, slow to anger are you with them? Have you lost your cool? recently? I mean, we all do, right? Once in a while. But overall, is that trend changing? Are you seen by the people around you as someone who is patient? You say, well, I'm not sure. Then ask someone. Ask someone you know. Ask someone you trust. Ask someone in your life group. Ask a friend. Ask your spouse. Ask somebody. Am I a pa- do you see me as a patient person? It's fascinating to me how out of all the godly virtues that are listed by Paul here, uh, how patience is, is the one we most readily dismiss. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we, we, we just come right out and say things like, you know, I've lost my patience with that person. I have no patience for so-and-so. Really? Or we'll say, you know, they hurt me, they offended me, they mistreated me, I'm not, I'll never forgive them. Really? I tell you what, man, I'm glad God hasn't and doesn't say that about me. Because honestly, I feel like I test God's patience every single day in some way or another. And unless I'm way off, you probably do too. So here's, here's my question. As Christians, how could we, how could we possibly be okay with denying others what we ourselves spiritually benefit from? How can that be okay? You know, in my opinion, the biggest challenge all of us face when it comes to being truly patient is our own pride and selfishness, which gets expressed in in sort of this double standard we tend to embrace and live out, even in the church. Now, let's be honest. When when we mess up, when we sin, when we make a mistake, uh, we not only pray for and welcome God's patience and forgiveness, we want the people around us to give us a second chance, right? Cut us some slack, even if we don't deserve it. But do we return the same unmerited favor to others when they mess up? Do we readily extend grace? Do we forgive? Are we long-suffering? <laughs> and if not, why? Why not? I mean, I, I'm going I'm to just tell you, this is just, I'm just going to be gut level here with you. I, over the last year or so, I have seen Christians be some of the most angry, vicious, vindictive, ungracious, and unforgiving people around. I don't, I don't even know what to do with that. I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. I mean, it, it just leaves me speechless. How can that be true? How can that be the case? L- listen to me. Jesus said this. He said to his followers, he says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's an incredible statement. What did Jesus mean by that? I mean, was he saying we earn our forgiveness by forgiving? No, that's not what he was saying. Jesus' point was this. Your willingness to be patient, long-suffering, with and readily, uh, being really willing to readily forgive others, your willingness to do that, even if they mistreat you, proves that you have experienced the forgiveness of God. Because Seriously, I mean, how can, how, can, how can I, how can you, how can we who benefit from the long-suffering, gracious forgiveness of God not extend the same to others? How can we not? Are we better than God? I, I've decided that, you know, look, for many of us in the church, here, here's the title. If I ever write a book, here's the title. Grace, it's great for me. <laughs> it's great as long as it's for me. Because that's so... That's sort of the way so many Christians live. You know, grace is wonderful as God pours it out on me, but don't, expect, don't expect me to, to be gracious to others. I don't, know how, I don't know how that works. I mean, understand, Jesus taught and Paul affirms that when you experience the grace, the patience, the forgiveness of God, his spirit will produce in you the same things toward others. It's, it's, it's the spiritual reality uh, this spiritual reality in mind that Paul wrote Christians living in the city of Colossae, a uh, city in, a- in Asia Minor, he said, he said, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then, he, then he kind of fleshes it out. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. To Jesus' followers living in the city of Ephesus, Paul writes, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. To those in the city of Thessalonica, he writes and says, love, it, love and live in peace. He says, be patient with everyone. Not just some people. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always be kind to each other and to everyone else. And then get this, when writing to... Uh, writing to the church about leadership, Paul gives this command to pastors. He says, preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Here's my Ray K translation. I need to be patient with you, uh, long-suffering with you, and likewise, you need to be patient, long-suffering with me. Even if and when we disagree, we're here to be understanding, slow to react, in anger, retaliation, quick to extend grace and forgiveness to one another. So how are we doing on that? Who are you being short-tempered with in your life? Who are you withholding grace and forgiveness from? You know, back when I decided to do a series on the fruit of the Spirit, I figured I would just handle each of these virtues um, uh, separately, and I thought, hey, that's no problem. You know, how hard could it be to explain love, joy, peace, patience? But I tell you what, it's not that easy because part of the reason um, uh, it's challenging is that all these virtues kind of overlap so much. You know what I mean? They're all they're all sort of interconnected and interdependent, and and so I've become increasingly convinced that you just you just really can't have one without the other. Think about it. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. There's a chapter that people often quote at weddings. It's, it's called the love chapter, chapter 13. And people love to have it read at, at their weddings. And you've, you've probably heard it. You're probably familiar with it. But just for the record, in that text, Paul wasn't writing about marriage. 
He wasn't writing about marriage. That wasn't a wedding poem. He was writing about relationships in the church. He was writing about uh, the nature of genuine Christian community. And as he does, he offers these famous words. He says, love is patient, i.e. long-suffering, slow to anger, slow slow to retaliate, quick to forgive. Love is patient. Conversely, you could say patience, long-suffering, slow to anger, quick to forgive, patience is love. Because essentially, you really can't have one without the other. And given that the reality of our our sinful brokenness, the reality of our tendency to fail each other and disappoint one another and so forth, you know what patience does? Patience keeps us from reducing love to mere sentiment or some abstract ideal. Paul says, no way. Mm Mm-mm. Love is practical. Love means we we demonstrate patience toward each other. In turn, patience proves we really do love one another. And God's spirit produces both. The English poet, considered the greatest poet of the 20th century, W.H. Auden, once wrote, perhaps there's only, only one cardinal sin, impatience. Because of impatience, we are driven out of paradise. Because of impatience, we cannot return. Translation. Auden, I think Auden was saying that impatience is and always has been a sinful problem for human beings. It's in our nature. It's in our nature to be arrogant and selfish and entitled and vengeful and judgmental and merciless. And Auden, Auden would be right in saying it's impossible to go back to paradise. It's impossible to change if, if, it, were, if it were only up to us to do so. But it's not. It's not. Understand, because of the patience of Jesus seen in his relationship with people and demonstrated in his long-suffering through mistreatment, trial, abuse, and death, through him, we can find and experience grace and forgiveness. The good news for humanity is that our eternal rescue, our return to paradise, if you will, has absolutely nothing to do with our performance, but everything to do with the work of Jesus and the unmerited favor of God, who is incredibly patient, abounding in love, slow to anger, quick to forgive, wanting all of us to come to repentance. And here's the deal. When we experience God's grace and forgiveness through faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and begins to transform and produce tangible, experiential, observable evidence of his power and presence in our lives and in our relationships and in our church. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience. A slowness to react in anger and retaliation and a quickness to extend grace and forgiveness to everyone around us, even to those who mistreat us. May we all be as patient with each other as God is patient with us. Let's pray together. Our Father, it it is easy for us to look at our own lives and um, draw the conclusions that, sure, I'm a patient person. But... um, Denial is kind of part of our problem. Sometimes we have blind spots in our lives uh, and we need you to speak into those for us. We need to have those around us who can help us determine what's true about ourselves. And so I I pray this morning that we um, we would do whatever it takes to 
to decide, are we truly patient? Are, are we a people who are long-suffering, um, slow to get angry, slow to retaliate to people, even those who mistreat us, but, but who are ready, willing to extend grace and forgiveness? the same grace and forgiveness that we have benefited from, the grace and forgiveness you show us. I pray, Lord, that um, no matter where we are on the spectrum of that, that you would, by the power of your spirit at work, continue to move us forward uh, to being more and more and more that kind of people. And... um, and as, as we live our lives that way, may others see in us Jesus. May they see in us and through us the truth of who you are, a God who's abounding in love and slow to anger, quick to forgive, and wanting all people to come to repentance. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for your grace in our lives. We offer our our, our our hearts, our minds, um, and our lives to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? I want to thank you all for uh, being with us this morning. And, uh, and uh, I hope you understand, you know, the whole, look, we're not, I am not by nature uh, a peaceful, joyous, loving guy. I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> but I'm not. And... It's because of God's work in my own life that I, 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 can, even, I can even stand up here in front of you this morning. Um, um, none of us are deserving. None of us are better than others. And we as Christians who have benefited, eternally benefited, from, from the forgiveness and grace, long-suffering nature of God himself, how can we withhold that from one another? How can we? We can't. We can't. God is producing in us through the power of his spirit at work, um, patience, more and more patience with one another and with even those who mistreat us, even our enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? We'll have to talk about that someday. <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, if you have questions about this, maybe you're hearing, you know, this is a whole new idea for you related to Christianity because for you it's all been about guilt and and kind of religious ritual and all that. And this is kind of a new idea, this idea of God's grace. Following the service, you can come down and talk to some of our prayer team folks. They'll be down here in the front. They'll be glad to talk with you or pray for you. Or maybe you're in a relationship that's really testing your patience, you know, and uh, you'd like them to pray for you as well. They're here for you, okay? In the meantime, have a great, uh, have a great afternoon, a great week. We'll come back next week, and we'll keep working through the fruit of the Spirit and see, what, uh, see what's next, okay? Let me pray for you, and we're dismissed. Lord, I pray now that as the church leaves the building, as we go out to our lives, to our, our homes, our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our, our jobs, our schools, um, I pray that, that your spirit would produce in us an incredible level of patience with people, true patience, long-suffering, a slowness to get angry, um, a willingness to forgive. And may our lives be lived in such a way as to reflect Jesus, who has done the same for us. And now may your hand of grace and peace and power and strength rest on the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.